And it is Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith and time now for Bill's Beat. We bring in former Vancouver City Council candidate and veteran BC political strategist and campaigner Bill Thielman. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Bruce. Uh, BC, great BC shakeout at 1019 this morning. I'm not going to ask you to dive under the desk, but just a tip of the hat to all those who are practicing this morning. Well, uh, absolutely, but uh, we don't have exactly earth-shattering news today, so there you go. Well, no, no, we don't. But, hey, uh, the federal government is now taking a look over to the West Coast, to B.C., and saying, oh, like what you're doing with short-term rentals, Airbnb crackdown, um, that's worth uh, thinking about. Yeah, you have to wonder, uh, A, if Airbnb shares are going down if they're publicly traded. Uh, but anyone who owns an Airbnb now, not just in British Columbia, but in Canada, has to be wondering, is this you know, is this gravy train coming to an end? And I, I have nothing against Airbnb, although I'm in a strata condo building like yourself, and we, we banned it a long time ago, so we don't have that issue. But some buildings I know and people that I know, it's, uh, you know, 50% of the units may be doing that. Yeah. Certainly those people are not living there. I mean, let's just be honest. The, the owners are not living there. So this is a, a pretty major story. And the fact that the federal government, Christia Freeland, the finance minister, said it's a great initiative and uh, obviously, uh, you know, it's a positive and important step in the right direction. Um, they will presumably that will encourage other provinces to take a look as well. Uh, certainly Toronto, well, in Ontario, uh, other cities in Toronto, it's another issue where there's housing shortages as well. So, uh, yeah, I don't, it's a very interesting development. And we heard Tony Giovanti uh, uh, talking about some of the changes there from the Condominium Homeowners Association, too. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting because Tony did say it could take five to ten years, in his opinion, for anything to uh, come around and become a reality. And I think he's on to something. Uh, it's interesting when, and part of the Air and B structure, the platforms, I mean, this is a technology thing. It's really hard to regulate technology and behavior and legislate it away. And when people go and take a look at uh, the possibility of travel and uh, the prices of travel and accommodation, guess what? They're going to look at Airbnbs or if not that, something else. Well, exactly. And that's one of the things that we, we're seeing, which is somewhat surprising, but in the government's news release, the B.C. government's news release originally, and some of the stories we're seeing, people in the tourism and hospitality industry are supporting this move. Now, of course, who's got squeezed the most by Airbnb and VRBO? It's it's the hotel sector. And uh, so a, a long-established business with um, high costs and lots of staff, and all of a sudden they're competing against somebody who has very minimal costs and maximizes the profits through that. So it's an, it's a very interesting battle. It's taken a while to develop. I, I've been kind of surprised the hotel industry hasn't been more vocal in opposition to Airbnb and VRBO before. Um, but it'll, you know, originally Airbnb was, as, uh, as the current government uh, change will make it, uh, you got a spare room in your house, you had a, uh, you know, a, a cottage uh, in the backyard or a, a laneway house or something and you rented it out. But uh, it became quickly an investor uh, deal to have several units, some investors like dozens of units, turning them into hotels, basically. Yeah, it's interesting. I've uh, booked accommodation in Kelowna. And it's, you know, you go on to one of the apps that we all use for hotel accommodation, and the hotels are there. But once you get through the regular hotels, it's amazing what comes up that's short-term rental. And that's still on the app. 
and the people that design the apps are uh, south of the border. I don't think they care. And I certainly don't think anybody up here is going to be thinking, oh, I might get caught oh, three times a fine. I, I just can't see yeah. it being a reality. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. But I think, you know, the government's shown with the uh, foreign speculator tax and uh, empty homes taxes, uh, they will crack down and they do crack down. And, I, you know, I know people who've run afoul of them uh, through no fault of their own. They're, they are enforcing it. And that's the other side of the technology you mentioned, Bruce. It's easy for governments to enforce as well. Yeah, and it's interesting also, uh, we've got one person saying he'll lose up to $100,000 a year due to this. Yeah, I, you know, I feel sorry for small investors, and I've heard a couple of stories there who followed all the rules. They're registered, they're insured, they're you know they're they're good landlords for their Airbnb or VRBO tenants who come and go. And all of a sudden, you know, and Ravi Kayla and I saw he said, "Well, you got until May, and then you know you can either change it to long term or sell." Well, you know, <laughs> I guess those are your two choices, all right. But it's it's kind of tough when government changes the rules and you've made investments on the basis of that. Well, it's also long-term or sell. And by the way, you've got to look for employment again because that was your employment. Mm-hmm. You etched out a career in a short-term rental market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think most of the uh, units are, are ones by mom-and-pop investors or smaller investors and who, who also have other things. And it's not like you're not going to make money on long-term rentals, Bruce, in this city, at least, and in Victoria. Uh, but I, I should clarify, in the tourism industry, some of their concerns is there won't be enough spaces in Victoria and Vancouver for tourists to come, uh, not, in the, not in the more tourist towns that are exempted from this. Let's move along here, Bill. Another big story yesterday, a disturbing story. I remember this uh, reporting on it when it happened. But full parole granted for a Surrey man, a teacher from Surrey, who killed his pregnant wife and left her body burned. Uh, Disturbing when it happened, still disturbing. Now he's out on full parole. Your thoughts? Uh, This story, the the, uh, guy who killed his wife, Mukhtar Pangali, um, not only he was convicted of secondary murder and a dignity to a body, uh, his wife's body was found burnt. Uh, he went on air, he went on television at a news conference begging for help to find the murderer when he was the murderer. He and, cried. I mean, I mean, this is he had crazy, tears but, on air. But but the first, you know, he had a four-year-old daughter. His wife was pregnant at the time. I mean, it almost can't get any worse. And then we saw in the parole board's hearings. Uh, some of the things were flagged in his release decision. You were assessed as a high risk of violence towards a partner. Um, you know, just, okay, so let's let this guy out. I mean, to me, somebody who would uh, kill their, their wife, a pregnant wife, uh, he left his four-year-old kid at home to dispose of the body. I mean, this is, this is not, um, you know, this is not somebody who should be out on the streets, in my view, and yet they're on full parole. We can only hope that he follows the conditions and rules. But I think this is what makes people crazy about the justice system, that it, it doesn't actually understand the concerns of the community. Bill, here's where I'm stopped, and I've I've got a little bit of a, a thinking uh, wrinkle on my forehead, and that is uh, the parole board saying that he successfully completed programs. That's about all they said. Um, what is successful completion when you had all these problems uh, and likelihood to reoffend? I, yeah, I know. I, I mean, ultimately, if we're going to, re- uh, under the law, we're going to release people who have committed some, some tough crimes. And I think the argument is, should you be released, what, what should your conditions be on a, on a really horrendous murder like this? Um, you compare it to somebody who has, let's just say, sold drugs or has uh, basically defrauded people. 
but no physical harm. They didn't murder murder their own wife and and, and orphan <laughs> semi-orphan their child. Uh, I think there's a real difference there, and I think that's one of the problems we have. I think somebody who has committed crimes can be rehabilitated, should be rehabilitated, and when they get released into the public, they should uh, a be safe uh, or a safe bet, and b have shown that they have remorse and that they have changed in prison. Um, I don't see that in this case at all, unfortunately. No, and rightly, these decisions end up on talk shows and making headlines and papers and ultimately end up uh, getting politicians on both sides of all stripes, both stripes, all stripes, thinking that um, getting tough on crime is the way to go. Do you think this is going to continue to be something that turns up in elections locally, provincially, federally? Oh, I think absolutely. We've seen the federal conservatives um, demanding changes to bail conditions, and probably seen David Eby on the NDP side saying the same thing. And we know that there's a rotating cast of criminal characters who do a significant portion uh, of the B&Es, the theft from auto, the um, you know brazen theft in stores, etc., um, and go to jail for a day, or don't go to jail at all, or. or uh, you know, go in and it's time served when they get in front of a judge. So that it just again it creates this impression the public that we have a very lawless society and and it it's not but um, it's certainly there's elements of our justice system that are just not working not working properly or working in favor of criminals uh, and repeat criminals. Um, you know, we used to as you know we used to have a lot of um, indefinite sentences for repeat offenders who just clearly we're not uh, able to be rehabilitated. Yeah. yeah. And that almost, you almost never hear that anymore. Indeed it is. Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith. We're with Bill Thielman. We'll get to your phone calls in just a moment. But, Bill, I want to get your opinion on this because I've known that you've played in the local community newspaper game before. But uh, Glacier Media announcing that it's closing down the Fort St. John, Alaska News and Dawson Creek Mirror this week. More closures on top of more closures on top of more closures. Community papers, are they gone? Is that the end of the game? It feels like we're at an auction going, going, gone. Uh, yeah, the Alaska Highway News, you know, been published since 1943, and the, the Dawson uh, Creek Mirror also been closed since 1930. Uh, and then we have also the uh, Kamloops This Week uh, announcement. So three newspapers local. I mean, you know, a lot of these papers started up when newspapers were even bigger than radio, let alone TV, and, uh, you know, the century or so before the Internet. Uh, I think we're in a really interesting transition period, Bruce, where uh, I think newspapers and and media uh, have mostly not yet figured out how to monetize their operations online. We see some exceptions, like the New York Times uh, the Washington Post, but even the Washington Post, owned by Jeff Bezos of Amazon Billions, uh, even they are laying off some of their staff I saw recently. So it's a real challenge. I, I think in the vast scheme of history, we'll get to a stage where there is, again, community media coverage, because I think it's important to people. But the the model, which was basically advertising and subscriptions and delivery, is not uh, working anymore. And it's newspapers around the world are suffering, not just in small towns. It's hard to monetize. And I agree with you totally when it comes to that and companies that have been, you know, using a legacy model and trying to adapt it to a digital model continue to struggle. Hey, let's go to some of the phone calls. Uh, in Coquitlam, Daryl. Good morning, Daryl. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. 
When I have heard on all media outlets of people who are running Verbo and Airbnb and how this is very detrimental to their retirement or their business, I never heard one of those individuals say, I file taxes, corporate taxes with Canada Revenue. I collect GST. I collect PST. I collect the tourism tax uh, that is levied in Metro Vancouver. Uh, I never heard any of that. So, uh, you know, are, are these people contributing to the tax base of British Columbia and Canada, or are they or are they not? About five or six hundred hotel rooms in Metro Vancouver have disappeared, and they have never been replaced. They're expensive to build, to operate. We know many of the luxury hotels in downtown Vancouver and in Victoria are, are union shops, pay union wages, have benefits, have pension plans. And a couple of and, things there, Daryl, I'll leave it at that. Um, what do you think, Bill? Uh, let's talk about the taxation and uh, and fee issue first. Well, yeah, I think anybody who is running above board, etc., is has got to be paying some of the taxes, uh, definitely, and, and hiring people. I mean, there was a story on on another uh, media outlet talking about a guy in Victoria. He runs two Airbnb units. He's laid off the cleaning staff already. Um, he's you know he's he's openly publicly saying this is a problem for him. He's going to lose his the income from those. Um, I think, you know, if if your listeners have tried to book a hotel in Vancouver or Victoria during the summer for a friend or relative visiting, uh, probably still in shock because the prices are, are just brutal. Um, and I think that that's one of the areas. I mean, Airbnb and VRBO fill a niche, which is a, a lower-cost alternative without all the amenities of a hotel. Um, and when you lose that, uh, it is going to mean some people are going to say, I'm, I'm not coming over to Vancouver for the P&E from elsewhere in the province or, or anywhere else because it's too expensive to stay. And that, that, you know, so there's some challenges here still that uh, uh, it's great that there'll be more long-term rentals, no question we need them. But at the same time, uh, a lower-cost alternative for t- some tourists to come is, is also uh, valuable to the tourism industry. Absolutely. George in Nanaimo, what's on your mind? Good morning. Um, I'm just always, something that's really been bothering me is we have a government uh, that on the one hand wants to stifle our economy by ever increasing interest rates because we say we have too much demand and not enough supply. But when it comes to the housing crisis, uh, energy, everything else, it seems to me the single biggest factor is our massive out-of-control growth, whether it's immigration or people moving here, yet the government seems to not only not be doing anything to discourage that or slow it down, but they're doing everything they can to ramp it up and encourage all of this stuff. And all it does is cause all of these problems. I've heard people say this, George. It's interesting because some of the numbers to where I see more, uh, especially when it comes to in-migration, you're going to get um, more people contributing to the economy than taking out. Bill? Well, uh, our economy is somewhat based on both immigration, people bringing money in and creating business, and uh, international foreign students. But I think it's far too much. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised. We're supposed to get 500,000 new immigrants. At least 100,000 are coming to BC, and at least uh, the, now, the largest single group would go to Vancouver. Um, you know, and then we say we got a housing shortage. Well, you know, we, we may have too much immigration, but I think governments are dependent on the revenue. Absolutely. George, great call. Thanks for all the calls. Didn't get to uh, nearly enough of them, but uh, that's because of the pop- popularity of Bill Thielman. Bill, thanks so much for being with us again. <laughs> I, we'll do I, it tomorrow, right? I, we're doing it tomorrow, and I don't know if it's popular to me. I think it's our, our stories that we're talking about. <laughs> oh, that too.